0: Welcome to the Action for Happiness podcast. I'm your host, Guy. And this week, we speak with Mark Williamson, who dives into the background behind the Action for Happiness charity and his journey on becoming its director.
1: So I, I, I got this real urge at that stage now, more than 10 years ago now, um, to do something more useful and meaningful. And that led me down a path towards another passion of mine, climate change and sustainability. But all the time feel that it was this hunger for, this question of what really matters mm. happiness matters and that we can live in a way that contributes to a better world
0: yeah action for happiness is a movement of people committed to building a happier and more caring society visit actionforhappiness.org for more details all right well, well thank you very much for coming down to the, it's a pleasure. To the studios I'm, I'm just so excited about what you got here it's fantastic well, you know, one of the inspirations for Anne and I is, you know, we talk about it often when we see you up on stage, you know, when you introduce guests at the talks, it's like, well, you know, Mark always brings it every time. You know, there's some, there's a skill of like presenting in front of people. You know, how do you hold attention and how, and at the same time, that professionalism, I guess. So, and a lot of that is comes from your corporate background, right? Well, it
1: sort of does and it and it doesn't. I mean, I do have a corporate background and I guess... Um, some of my ability to present comes from that. But actually, I was a terrible presenter really? when I was in corporate life. I worked in, in, in The content was fine, but there was no passion. Yeah. It was really dry. If I look at videos of myself now doing previous jobs, it's just <laughs> so desperately dull. And I think the difference isn't because I've become particularly great at it. It's because what I do now is something I believe in. Yeah. And people say to me, it really comes across mm-hmm. how passionate you are. And I think that's the difference when you're talking about something you care about. Mm-hmm the humanity comes out the warmth the enthusiasm so i think that's the thing that you know i now feel really proud of and that when yes. i stand up on the stage is these are the people I, I respect these are the the audience that I turn up to these action for
0: happiness events you know they're brilliant people mm-hmm. so you know it's a it's a real privilege to do that actually what was the journey what was your path that led you to be director of action for happiness as you mentioned you know there's you know it, it completely changed who you are and it's, I think it's a really inspirational story so why don't we we begin there oh well, thank you um,
1: well I think in some ways my story isn't particularly remarkable but I think it's quite helpful potentially because it reflects a challenge loads of us face about what does really matter and in fact this has become a theme for almost everything we do with action for happiness what really matters and what are our priorities and how do we choose to live wisely And I think for a large part of my life and my career, I was very blessed and fortunate, but wasn't living very wisely. And in fact, wasn't really tuned into who I am and what matters to me and indeed what I can do that contributes. Um, So by background, I was a sort of scientist engineer kind of guy. I mean, I was relatively academic generally, but got into science and engineering and did a degree in electronics and then ended up doing a PhD and sort of the first awakening was in that world of science, which I loved, yeah. realizing that I was a people person, I was motivated mm-hmm. to be m- with people and sitting in a lab doing research wasn't really me, left me feeling low energy. So I was like, Okay, I need to go into a people focused job. So I went to be a consultant management consultant, right. um, which kind of used a bit of my technology knowledge, but then rapidly became commercial and all about teams and challenges and mm-hmm. strategy and so on. Uh, And I'll be really honest I was partly motivated there by a desire for financial I don't know if it was it wasn't to be rich but it was for stability There was a real sense of like actually I could earn some money doing this Mm -hmm. thing that maybe I couldn't earn as a engineer scientist and although that wasn't a super high priority for me like I have to be honest that like there was something in this about you know a materialistic ethos actually which I feel very differently about now, but was definitely there yeah. and, and kind of culturally conditioned that actually in my peer group, it was like, you know, earn lots of money because then you can whatever. Um, it's so the I, message we're told from, yeah, a, from a young age. You it know. isn't actually the message I was told in my family. I'm very blessed to come from a, you know, a, okay. a quite grounded family background. My mum's a, a passionate Christian and, and a school teacher. My dad's a, is an engineer and scientist, but again, the, the, the sense in our house was never money matters. Mm. And yet somehow, I at a sort of early 20s age i was you know like i want to get a job that sorts me out financially and i got up that ladder and i in it was yeah it? sort of it related but it became more about the strategy that goes with that and mm. the the project management and all yep. the complexity but yeah I had a technology component to it and um i i really i was chasing and chasing up a ladder this is the, the metaphor i ended up using years later which was I'd been conditioned partly by family desire for me to, quote, succeed, but also the kind of peer pressure to be have more responsibility, earn more money, be more successful, be seen as being good at something. So I was charging up this ladder, um, but I never really stopped to see what the ladder was leaning against. You know, So I was mm-hmm. getting better and better paid, getting more and more responsibility, actually getting more and more stressed and more and more sense of emptiness, actually. Mm-hmm. So this idea of, you know being quote successful but inside feeling the opposite mm. and it turned out you know that actually a lot of muscle pain is caused by tension which is caused by stress not by physical problems so much and it's when credible, i yeah. you know, it was really shocking so I when I read about this I thought this sounds like nonsense yeah. but this book um, that Kate gave me um, helped me learn what I now know to be called mindfulness actually at the time it was like a breathing exercise but it was stopping tuning into how you're feeling breathing calming and i I kid you not i went from being i'm in pain constantly sometimes i can't get out of bed sort of level of agony i've stopped doing any sport to being running again playing sport living a pretty normal life again within about two or three weeks it was literally like how does that work that's crazy and it flipped my head because the rational scientist in me said that doesn't make any sense but basically it was the beginning of a hang on a second what goes on in here you know has massive effects on everything our relationships but also our physical functioning so I went off to do an MBA thinking I'm going to go into some other field of business but on a on a business degree you get to look at all the different sectors and I just found this really strong sense of whether we're looking at how to make aircraft how to sell toothpaste how to you know what fast-moving consumer goods all these different sectors the overarching sense I got was like, I'm not motivated by any of that. I don't want to sell people stuff they don't really need. And the Mm. whole of business largely seems to be about selling people stuff that isn't really meaningful. So I I, I got this real urge at that stage now, more than 10 years ago now, um, to do something more useful and meaningful. And that led me down a path towards another passion of mine, climate change and sustainability. Spent a while working in that area, but all the time feel that there was this hunger for this question of what really matters. And I discovered Richard Layard's book, so many people will know Richard Layard is the, um, the co-founder of Action for Happiness, a very eminent economist, wrote this book, mm-hmm. Happiness Lessons from a New Science, that totally changed my life when I read it, mm-hmm. and basically says, you know, the story we have about progress, what really makes for a good society and a good life, you know, about more and more wealth, more and more yeah, sort of material progress, it's just a broken story, mm. and... um and so he looks at it from a societal basis but I found this myself like when I let go of the chasing the material or the financial and said you know how can I live a happier life mm. and I spent more time with friends and spent you know, started a family and changed my career and suddenly it was like a sense of wow this is this is better i'm mm. less stressed i feel more purposeful mm. i you know and i i think there's this, there's something in this this link between personal and societal so i when we personally shift to focus on what really matters to us you know we something quite profound happens but as a as a nation as a kind of culture we need this more generally that when we stop chasing gdp growth mm-hmm. uh or obsessing about you know being the best and the cleverest and the fastest and you know and generating the most stuff then again as a society we kind of tune back into Mm -hmm. what matters and i said this is the whole this is where my great shift comes from but i think it's also where action for happiness comes from this question of what matters Mm -hmm. and i was encouraged to change my priorities i sort of went i've been spending so much time thinking about the money and the stuff and the success and what other people think Mm -hmm. and when i shifted to like actually this is what i find motivates me when i spend more time
0: pursuing things i care about with people i love doing things i'm passionate about so when i try and explain action for happiness to some of my friends and, and family you know a lot of i do get that feeling that as soon as i mention it people kind of already understand what i'm talking about is oh yeah that so can you give me some examples of you know what is action for happiness actually doing you know if i were to go then explain to my friends you know You know, what is the mission and, you know, what is being done in order to achieve that? Mm.
1: It's a great question. I mean, the the fundamental idea of Action for Happiness is incredibly simple, but quite profound when acted on. And it's basically that an individual, anyone, could join a movement, join a group of people that have this shared conviction that happiness matters and that we can live in a way that contributes to a better world. So the Action for Happiness pledge is, I will try to create more happiness and less unhappiness in the world around me, you know again, very simple um, but huge implications if you act on it mm-hmm. and and people do act on it in different ways and I can give you some examples um, well, well, from a personal perspective this this can apply in how I am as a parent or how I am. As a partner, as a friend, in my community, at my workplace, and so on. I mean, the way we sort of collectively, as a movement, or through our own work within the small team at the middle of this, but I always like to say that this isn't really about the team. Anyone who knows the Action for Happiness team knows how small and resource constrained we are. And the power doesn't lie in the few people in sure. London doing work. It lies in the, the thousands who are mm-hmm. hopefully inspired to do something differently. But the, the sorts of practical examples of action that that's being taken. So there are, at the big picture level, people like Richard Layard, Anthony Seldon, the sort of co-founders of Action for Happiness, and, and, and others who, who are politically and socially motivated who are trying to push for change in things like policy. So how do we get a school system that you know, isn't just measuring grades, but also measures children's wellbeing? How do we get a health service that isn't just focused on physical illness? Mm-hmm. It's about not just also care about mental health, but actually doing it in a preventative way, not just about picking at the pieces when people have fallen off mm-hmm. the cliff of serious depression and anxiety and so on. How do we create an economic policy that isn't just about growth at mm-hmm. all costs that actually says, no, no, actually unemployment or avoiding unemployment turns out to be way more important for our well-being than whether or not the economy is grown by x percent each year yeah. you know we know that when people lose their jobs it's not just about the money it's a sense of identity and mm-hmm. so there's all kinds of big picture things like that and we're involved in some of those conversations we run for example a series of dinners with quite influential uh, decision makers in health and education and try and start conversations about okay. you know, what, what, what can change so that's one, one, you know, one thing but you know only obviously involves a, a small portion of our supporters who have kind of connections in that area then you move into something like the school system we have now a fabulous toolkit that some supporters of ours develop that can be used in primary schools Mm -hmm. we have an increasing range of teachers that really care about these ideas and are trying to act on them in in schools Mm -hmm. but again only really relevant to those who are in education really important we have um done quite a lot of work in workplaces from major corporates even you know, sort of investment banks and law firms down through public sector bodies through to small tiny charities and I never really expected that would be part of our work with Action for Happiness mm-hmm. and it is for two reasons, one is there's just been a big demand for it almost without us looking for it, people come to us and say we've got unhappy workplace, can you help us? Mm. You know, or we may have engaged employees or you know, but actually people are not Motivated, they're not happy, there's Mm -hmm. something about our culture. Can you help? So, we've run workplaces and train sort of events and training and uh, workshops and other things. And and the other reason we do that is that provides some uh, income to support our charitable work because running these kind of things, even with a tiny team, it's really hard to raise funds. The conventional charitable funders don't get this. In the way that you might imagine they would so to be able to generate your own source of sort of financial stability is helpful so that's another thing that's been happening so actually it's been really great to see business leaders saying i just i don't just want to improve the bottom line i want to help create a more connected happier more trusting workplace Mm -hmm. um we've seen uh, parents wanting to use materials with their kids we've seen um, you know people who run voluntary community organizations saying how can i use for example the 10 keys to happier living how can i take that into the community groups that i run how can i use that in my organization yeah. and of course there's that 10 keys to happy living book and, and framework used all around the world now actually and being translated and used in different cultures mm-hmm.
0: I was actually in Dubai and I saw that on the show Really, in a Virgin no, that's brilliant.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I love how this... I, 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 the next example I was going to give was with our local groups and how... Um, it, the group, the small group, and in particular Stan Rosenthal, who's founded our, our, our Brighton group that's mm-hmm. now grown to become a, a huge group in, in Brighton, yeah. um, was where the first happy cafe came mm-hmm. about. Yeah. And so another example of someone saying, I can do something locally, let's take a, a cafe and make it more than just a place where you buy a drink. It's got mm-hmm. a sense of community and it mm-hmm. promotes the idea behind the movement. The reason you just made me think of it was talking about you know going abroad and seeing it. Richard Layard was... Uh, he had a phone call from a friend who was in oh gosh where were they Malaysia or somewhere, mm-hmm. and this friend said I've just walked into this town and there's an action for happiness cafe that's just like I've just bought my drink from and yeah. they've got like your materials and you know, Richard didn't even know this was this yeah. was there but you know it's the other yeah. side of the world and someone's yeah. doing this but but the, the the most important answer to your original question which is what are people doing yeah. is the individual volunteers that are stepping forward to make something happen locally. The most important thing we found with the whole of this Action Happiness movement is that even though books are great and events are great and online communities are great, you you can help people and affect people and inspire people through those things. Mm -hmm. The most life-changing thing we found is when you get people together face-to-face to to have what we now call conversations that matter, ideally in small Mm -hmm. groups near where they live or work, that is the thing that can really change lives. It's also the thing we've let go of most in modern culture. Mm. You know, we've got the Facebook generation, we've got the digitization, we've got the isolation. Mobile phones. And, yeah, and, yeah. The, yeah, so many things that undermine our connectedness. And when you get back to this idea... Of talking together face to face, then that's mm. what changes life. So, what's been it's so where the magic happens, I believe you want yeah, to say, I, yeah. I mean, I, you know, there is no magic, so no, I, I like that, but, term but it, but it term, is right? there's a human magic, I think. There's yeah. a sort of sense of like, oh, it's almost I sometimes think of it as well. The feeling I got when I first ran one of these courses, we have this eight week course, or and when I've been on them, mm-hmm. um, is a feeling like it's a bit like being in a a, a soap opera mm. where it's real. You're in it, and it's not f- triv- trivial. It's real important stuff. You yeah. know, it's a sort of sense of um, purposeful, very emotionally engaging, sort of uh, real life drama. Mm-hmm. But it's not through the lens of group therapy or kind of you know bearing your soul. Mm. But what we do in these core sessions is people talk about what matters to them. What what how. What makes for their relationships good? What helps them find meaning at work? What helps mm-hmm. them cope when they're struggling? But in a room of people who trust each other and have you know, got a friendly environment and it's not you know, it's not like going on a course where you're taught all the answers. The whole spirit of it is like, let's work out the answer together. Yeah. But people consistently write to us when they've been in one of the courses and say, that's you know, changed my life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know you and Anne ran one of these courses sure. in London. Yeah. I mean, we're so grateful to you and so many other volunteers who've done this because... You know, people give their time to yeah. do this on a free basis, and I think they—I mean, love to hear your experiences—but people say to us they find it really rewarding to do that. Yeah. But you know, I cannot tell you how many people write to us and say, "I went on one of these courses, and it's really mm-hmm. shifted my life." You know, I've healed my relationship. I feel more purposeful. I've changed my job. I'm coping better with stress. Yeah. You know, I lost my mum recently, and I—but you know, I'm—I'm I'm finding ways to cope with it. Really moving stuff.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. and I think it's important for our listeners to know that you know if you go to the action for happiness website which speaks all about the course but there's actually a you know you can either choose to facilitate it or attend one yeah and I think you know because Anne and I facilitated it so we're not trying to teach anyone anything but it's you know we help you know because the course material and the videos and everything is there but you know just provide that space in which yeah. the conversations can be had and um, it's yeah. Exa- that's exactly the right the right way to
1: think about it. This is not a when people step forward, um, they're not stepping forward to be a teacher, or an expert. Sure, yeah. As you said, it's about starting a conversation. Yeah, providing they, that, yeah, that space, facilitating that space, yeah, we just to connect. And mm-hmm. sometimes we find that when people want to run the course, and they they are experts. You know, they've done a positive psychology mm-hmm. masters, or they are a trained. You know. Um, expert in some related field, but um, in some ways that almost might become a, a barrier because yeah. they then feel a responsibility to sort of impart knowledge. Mm-hmm. And actually the lovely thing is when someone steps forward as a well-meaning volunteer, they say at the beginning of this course, I'm not here to tell you the answers, I'm here because I care about this and I mm-hmm. want to give my time, sure. mm-hmm. but we are all human beings and we're going to go on this journey together. And, and the that, that's the beauty of how it was set up. Yeah, right. Well, that's the intention behind how we created it. Mm-hmm. and. I've just been so touched and moved and overwhelmed, actually, by seeing the people who've come forward to do this. Mm -hmm. I genuinely worried that many people who stepped forward to run the course would either have the wrong motivation or they would just be inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And something about the way we've articulated what this is all about. And I think the fact that it does take a bit of work and effort to do it. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you'll know that amount of preparation, you went into finding the right venue, thinking about how to structure it and so on. But, but, but almost without exception, the people who've put themselves forward have just been wonderful people. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, this is the key now, I think, to this movement. That in fact, it isn't really about, uh, it's not about the organisation at the centre, or indeed about all the millions of people we'd love to reach. I think the most powerful element is these brilliant volunteers who mm-hmm. say, I want to take action to help make this world a better place. Yeah. Partly because I know that will make me happier, but mm-hmm. also because I genuinely care. And I just, I think these people are
0: fantastic. You're listening to the Action for Happiness podcast. I'm your host, Guy. And on today's episode, we speak with Mark Williamson, director of the incredible Action for Happiness charity. There was an amazing crowdfunder. Mm. I can't remember what the, the financial mon- amount that you tried to hit, but you guys hit it. We did, yeah. On, was it, we, on raised the a hun-
1: we raised £100,000 on, on, on the Kickstarter platform.
0: It was on, Crowdfund. on yeah, Crowdfunder. On Crowdfunder, yeah. 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 But, you know, just the fact that there was such a great response to that in Chief. So, since since that took place and now that you you've there's been so many courses that have been carried out i guess what are, what are the lessons that have been you know what what's the feedback from that you know has there been updating the course material perhaps you can share some of the, the learning lessons
1: yeah well i think the most important learning first of all is at this face-to-face gathering mm-hmm is really really powerful because of the feedback we get and also I'll say a moment a bit about some of the analysis we've now done of the before and after impact. Mm-hmm. But I think this is the big challenge we face in modern society that one of the most important things for our well-being, getting together face to face with other people and talking about the stuff that matters yeah. Is, is, is under threat yeah. you know actually um, as we've let go of religion in some to some extent in modern society we've let go of opportunities to connect in our communities mm-hmm. as we've moved to you know automated checkouts and buying online and staring at screens and you know uh, doing mm-hmm. online stuff yeah. uh, which brings amazing time-saving benefits and other things mm-hmm. we have walked away from many of these face-to-face opportunities. Mm-hmm. so now we're, we're not solving all of those problems but I think this is one example of getting people together locally, face to face. And so people say to us, for example, why haven't you got an online version of the course? Mm-hmm. And we, we, we may well introduce a slightly different online thing mm-hmm. in future, but actually the reason we don't do that is that there's this human connection when yeah. you're in a room with someone mm-hmm. that's different to when you're on Snapchat or retweeting them or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the what, number one lesson is face to face human connection is so important. Mm-hmm. The, the the next learning, I think, is one that we're really proud of, which is about the potential impact of this. And we now have hundreds and hundreds of pairs of data of, of that people have filled in a survey before they start even start the course, even really know what it is, and then after they've been on the course, which could be two, three months later. And we look at two things. We look at... Um, one, their own well-being, and two, perhaps even more importantly, their sort of outlook or their mm-hmm. pro-social nature. Mm-hmm. And we see some really quite substantial increases in, in their own well-being. So their life satisfaction, their mental well-being scores, they go up really substantially. Yeah. Uh, and to the point that... Um, so... I should caveat this by saying that this particular data we've got we've got sort of 800 pairs of data Mm. that was not done in a full randomized control trial with a control group and so Mm. on but the the scale of change that we see is like more than one point on the 10 point scale of life satisfaction that is bigger than the the data would show that you see for example when someone gets married you see a big increase in their well-being or when someone's Mm. in a positive relationship um, but but the course seems to have a bigger impact than that and when someone becomes unemployed they get a big negative jump in their well-being or when someone loses a loved one like a spouse mm-hmm. big negative fall in well-being mm-hmm. in all cases the, the, the change in well-being we see ongoing in the course seems to be bigger than these major life events like mm-hmm. you know losing a job losing a loved one or Yep. Or, you know going into a, a loving relationship so now there's a big question about, does that last mm-hmm. but I mean the scale of effect here is really quite substantial sure. from something that's you know a relatively small intervention but even more excitingly what we find is that people become kinder and more trusting mm. and of course our great passion with action happiness isn't just to make individuals feel better themselves it's to say how do we shift culture yeah. so people come out of the course with data that shows that they are more compassionate towards others they're more likely to sort of stop and help someone in need or be proactively you know kind and they're also more likely to be trusting of others and this is the other big passion of mine and indeed of richard Layard and so many others which is that we've broken trust in modern society Mm -hmm. and you know when you mention the negativity in the media earlier and the sort of sense of the world all going you know, awry mm-hmm. it isn't really true that things are all getting worse it's just the pervading sense we get yeah.
0: um
1: and i um, mean stephen pinker's better angels of our nature is this wonderful piece of work that sort of shows that actually uh, although there's been various blips over time humanity has been getting progressively less violent Longer living, it's the sa- more yeah, he, said, he mentions yeah. now is the safest period yeah, we've ever. I mean, yeah. it's incredible actually yeah. when you look at the really big really picture, and yet we don't see that. And one of the things about the media narrative and the current culture is that we think people are bad. People mm-hmm. other than the ones I know directly are can't be trusted, or out to get me, and mm-hmm. just isn't really true. But it erodes trust, and when trust gets eroded, we then act in more self-centered, less mm-hmm. compassionate yeah. ways. So the fact that we see again a greater than one point on this ten-point scale increase in social trust when people come out of the course Mm. because there's a sense of like looking around and going actually I want to reach out and help others I'm motivated to make a difference Mm. I think restoring trust could be one of the most important challenges Mm -hmm. for modern culture so we're making our own small contribution there so that's another thing I think we've learned And, and for those who are scientists among the listeners we are also now doing a proper randomized control trial study of the course, which will look at this in with a slightly more scientific rigor. And it even includes measuring biomarkers, mm-hmm. where you take saliva samples from wow. people and you look at their levels of cortisol mm-hmm. to see how stressed they are. You look at levels of um, various, what they call inflammatory and anti inflammatory markers, that mm-hmm. sort of give a sense of the stress response and immune sorry the immunity response to sort of physical health functioning so it's like does this stuff actually change our physiology now we don't know the answer to that yet but I think it's conceivable that when we're happier when we're more trusting we're also sort of physically better but I think your question about what have we learned is perhaps even more interesting when you think about what have we learned about you know building a movement and sort of you know how mm-hmm. this can spread yeah. and one of the things we're learning is it's really hard to do this in mm-hmm. not, not in terms of helping volunteers make change happen or in even in fact changing lives it's about making something go from a small idea to a big idea yeah. you know we've got these passionate volunteers we've got the dalai lama as a patron which is quite an attention-grabbing thing mm-hmm. we've got now a proven course we've got you know so much in principle support from the funding, funding as well, as well a bit of funding it, yeah. it, these courses generate some of their own support because we ask people to make donations yeah. and in general on a course by course basis the donations are greater than the, the cost of the venue and the refreshments and yet still going from a few hundred courses with a few thousand attendees to what you really need which is thousands of courses with millions of attendees that jump is really hard. I mean every business and every startup knows this that scaling up is tricky. Yes. But our big challenge now is how do we reach the masses? How why is it that when we go and talk to people they don't really know about this. They yeah. don't really know about the course. They don't know about actual happiness. Mm-hmm what what you know the 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 challenge i think we all face in wanting to change the world is just cutting through the noise Mm. of so much stuff you know that's just trivial nonsense that you know how can we help people tap into this stuff that really is life-changing yeah and you know i i don't know the answers to that but we're working on different ways of different theories of behavior change of Mm -hmm. communication of you know, engaging people. So, if you've got any great answers on the spreading the word, then you know po- the podcast helps. You know, podcast helps. Well, I truly believe out, you know. that the
0: podcast is a great way to yeah. spread the message. You know, and just as you know, your passions combine the passion of great conversation. You know, speaking amongst friends, and yeah. at the same time, you know, using that as a platform to share ideas. You know, that's that's really what's driving us. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for all you do, and. Uh, you know, it's it's the little things that can, together mm-hmm.
1: do make this big difference. I really, honestly believe that when you look at all the little ripples of enthusiasm, creativity, generosity that members of this movement have already shared and acted on in the last few years, you know, whatever legacy this thing leaves yeah. is thanks to those people and the, that kind of compound ripple effect. Yeah. And I do believe that that stuff makes a difference. In fact, actually, it's that. And we sometimes look for the, the big picture. We must change the, yeah. the system. And in fact, actually, just the way we treat each other has this really big impact. The little act of generosity, mm-hmm. friendship, kindness, mm-hmm. that then inspires others to do the same. And I think yeah. that's
0: how culture changes. But, you know, what I really love about the Action for Happiness um, grew, and I think we could possibly end on this, is that, you know, if you look at the history of guests that you've had on, you know, like Richard Bonner and Claire Kelly, you know, talking about... Mindfulness in schools, mm. then you look at Lord Layard and his work in government, yeah then you got in um in the health system and you got in 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 so many different areas it 's basically you know a tackling it from all angles, and that 's really kind of where if you want to make the the shift in you know in the, with the general perception of it and the that movement for good, I think. You know you guys are absolutely hitting it on the head and you know you leading the the be the change that you want to see kind of movement it's a, it's you know yeah. it's really incredible well, thank you for that
1: and I'm really glad you mentioned mindfulness because i haven 't really said that word since mm. i at the start of this talk talked about my own experience of yeah. learning sort of some awareness techniques that then mm-hmm. transform my physical health yeah and actually i Sort of that work, in some ways that was what woke me up to the importance of this whole agenda around happiness and well being, mm-hmm. and and I see mindfulness as such a powerful life skill and an enabler for change. And I think there's a, I mean it's lovely to see the whole global takeoff of the mindfulness movement. And you know we've had John Kabat Zinn and Dan Goleman and oh, Matthew Ricard and Ed mm-hmm. Halliwell, and all these you know amazing range of different perspectives on mindfulness. And I know it's had a huge impact on your own life mm-hmm. as well and Anne's life. Um, And one of the things I think is misunderstood about mindfulness well lots of things are misunderstood one of one of the classics is that this is about somehow clearing your mind and mm-hmm. you know sort of living a kind of you know in tranquility yeah. and of course it isn't it's about tuning into what's really going on mm-hmm. you know it's waking up not sort of shutting down mm-hmm. but um, the other sort of criticism in terms of changing the world that mindfulness gets is like oh well, how can you possibly achieve anything when it's about sitting there doing nothing yeah. you know just how can sitting still and breathing ever have a positive ripple effect but I passionately believe and I think many many people in the action happiness movement do this and practice this. this this idea that it's when you're mindful that you're able to make wise decisions and live wisely when you can get out of the chatter of your own mind and cut through the bombardment of stuff we get from modern culture and just say this is what's going on and i have a choice i mm-hmm. have a choice of how to live and how to act yeah that opens up the possibility not only to be happier but also to sort of treat others more kindly to make a wiser choice as a teacher Mm. as a business leader as a friend as a parent and I just I actually think this is the most powerful asset we have and the most sort of misunderstood opportunity in modern life Mm. this idea of awareness and Mm. choice you know I think so many of us are in this feeling of pressured busyness like society is like getting faster and faster and I've got to stay at my screen, I've got to do this and I'm always on. Distractions, interruptions and I can't focus on anything for more than a few seconds and if I sit still I kind of like, oh god, god I'm wasting my life uh, and, and so mindfulness is this ability to sort of say well, what's really going on mm-hmm. and be aware and be awake and then to choose, so it isn't passive it's not about sitting there and letting the world wash over you, it's saying right I can choose to be a force for good. I can choose to act on this anger or this sadness or this real emotion. And, of course, with action of happiness, we're not trying to null out these negative emotions and say, oh, sure. it's all fine all the time. Mm-hmm. We're saying, no, no, actually, there are constructive ways to respond to loss and adversity mm-hmm. and uh, sadness yes. and, you know, unhappiness and frustration. And, uh, you know, mindfulness perhaps is the tool to help us turn those Difficult situations and negative emotions into something constructive for ourselves yeah. and also for our loved ones and our communities and for a social change. Yeah. And, you know, much as I'm frustrated by some of the lurch towards fear of the other we've seen in recent, you know, EU referendum votes in the UK mm-hmm. and, you know, US politics and various trends around the world, you know, th- th- that sense of fear of the other is unhelpful. I also think there's all. Uh, the response to it from what you might call the informed or more moderate progressive classes sometimes is a little bit um demoralizing as well because it's very much like oh my goodness we'll you know the world's gone wrong mm-hmm. and um these people are more stupid or actually know that this is an opportunity to to wake up yeah. you know and what we need all of us to do right now is to wake up to mm-hmm. what really matters and to live wisely and consciously and i think that when we do that we'll get out of this fear and we'll get more of this trust and we will create a happier world. And so thank you for your part in that. And uh, I, hope, I hope people listening, you know, feel part of that community because this is nothing without the, the shared sense of purpose. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I spend my life on this, mm-hmm. but, but it's not about an individual or even as this brilliant team of people that help us, you know, in London and around the world, it's about this overall community yeah. of, you know like-minded people and
0: i think we really can make something better and it's um actionforhappiness.org. our listeners can go there you find out all the information about the courses about the podcasts about also there's the youtube channel which has you know a whole host of all the speakers that have come on to name daniel goleman john Kabat-Zinn, ruby wax the dalai lama you know a whole host of these amazing um, amazing guests and um There's also a a Twitter page, right, that they can go and show their support to. Sure. Yeah, I mean,
1: search for Action Happiness on Twitter. There's Action for Happiness on on Facebook. Facebook. The website, as you say. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you search for for Action for Happiness Mm -hmm. generally on any of the major platforms and you'll find some content. And you'll find some, you know, great engagement and community and like-minded people. And again, one of the lovely things on social media is just seeing how in a world where often in social media, you see such vile sort of negativity and sort of aggression that mm-hmm. in our community, what I see generally is people who sort of want to help each other and inspire each other and yeah. connect. And I think that we, we often notice the problems in, for example, in social media and in culture more generally. Mm-hmm. And I'm just always inspired to see how many people are out there with a different
0: ethos yeah. and with one that is
1: supportive and constructive. And mm-hmm. So yeah, get involved if you haven't already.
0: All right, Mark, thank you very much thank for coming you. down. It's and, you know, pleasure. we've got to do this again.
1: In the, yeah, in let's the do it future. again. And, you know, what you've created with the podcast, what you've shown with your own commitment to this cause and what you've done, this lovely space you've created <laughs> yeah. here and the people you're now bringing here. So
0: it's, yeah. it's wonderful and thank you. All right then, that's our wrap. Thank you very much. Cheers. And remember, if you'd like to help create a happier and kinder world, then please get involved with Action for Happiness. You can join thousands of others who are helping to spread a bit more happiness in their homes, workplaces, schools and local communities. Find out more at actionforhappiness.org. Join the movement, be the change.